0: morning sons and good morning brothers. I'm recording in a very unusual place this morning. I'm on a place called Delray Beach in the extreme northwest corner of the state of Oregon and I'm literally in my daughter's car and I'm sitting on the beach of the Pacific Ocean near just north of Gerhardt, Oregon, just south of Vistoria. And I came out of here this morning to do the recording because I am visiting, we're visiting my daughter and her family, Holly, Jesse, Aiden, and Bella, and Holly is with child, her third child. We came out here to spend the week and I got up this morning about six o'clock. Drove to Seaside for Brew Twenty Two, a large americano, which is so good you could you could gargle with it. And then I drove uh, north and out to the beach where I'm going to be doing the recording today for the things I want to say to mostly to men podcast. Well, good brothers, you know, if you've been listening to the Things I Want to Say podcast, mostly for men, you know that we have been in a series of podcasts where I'm sharing out of the Word and out of my own life, six tools to craft a holy life. And if you've, if you're sharp, you've been You know that the tools that we've talked about so far are pray, obey, meditate, and worship. Pray, obey, meditate, and worship. These are powerful biblical tools. They seem almost too easy, too simple on the surface. But once understood, once you study the scriptures... And you see how practically to apply each of these tools, to use, you develop skill in each of these tools, a proficiency in each of these weapons. They're powerful to fight against sin in your life. They're the means that God has given to us, the most powerful means that humans have to resist sin, to, to, to uh, overcome indwelling sin to escape temptation and to craft a life that is holy. And so today we reach the fifth, and the fifth is simple. It's a four-letter word, love. Or you could say you fight sin with, by prayer, obedience, meditation on scripture, worship, and intimacy with God. And I think that the scriptures teach that intimacy with God is the most powerful way there is to resist sin when you see sin as spiritual adultery then you fight it with affection for God and this is taught throughout the scripture you see it old testament and new from the beginning to the end of the bible you see that the nuclear warfare weapon against sin is love for God, is intimacy with God. So think about the different weapons that you use to fight against sin, the different tools that you use to craft a holy life. They're based on what sin is. Sin is independence from God, so you fight it with prayer. And sin is rebellion against God, so you fight it with obedience. And sin is unbelief, and so you fight it with meditation on truth. And sin is spiritual idolatry, and you fight it with worship. Finally, sin is is at the essence. It's unfaithfulness to God. It's infidelity against God. It's spiritual adultery, men. And you fight spiritual adultery with affection for God, with love for God, with devotion to God. Let me give you some examples from Scripture. In the book of James, James wrote very clearly about fighting sin in your life. And it would be good to just for a man to take the book of James. Just read the book of James over and over again uh, every day. Uh, for a month, and, and it's it's the proverbs. Some have said James is the proverbs of the New Testament. And so a man could take the book of James, and over and over again, he could read it, and he could find practical resources in the in the little epistle of James to fight against sin. One of the things that James says is that sin is spiritual adultery. And he says, don't you know that friendship with this world is hatred for God? It's adultery, it's spiritual adultery. And, and then he says, the spirit that dwells in you uh, has every right to be jealous. I'm paraphrasing now. The spirit that dwells in you is jealous for your affection. It's appropriate. This is the way that Scripture talks about our relationship with God. Our most important affection and our most important love is our love for God. It's to understand deeply that God loves us and to love him back. A number of years ago, I developed the teaching that I used In the church I pastored, and at some retreats that I had that I had uh, repeatedly uh, taught, and and in the teaching I call it the Grand Master Key to the Universe. And here's a a brief synopsis of what the uh, what the uh, series did. It was about five, four messages. But in the first message, I would show passages that teach about how important it is to believe that God loves us. For instance, if you were to read in Ephesians in chapter 3, verses 14 through 21, you would see that Paul is praying for the people, his highest and best prayer for them. And what he's saying is, my prayer for you is that you'll understand the size of God's love for you, how vast God's love is, how high God's love is, how deep God's love is, how wide God's love is. And that in so doing, when a man understands how much God loves him, he says there in that passage, he's filled with all the fullness of God. He's strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. Gentlemen, you want to be strengthened with might by God's power in the inner man. You want to be strong in spirit. And you want to be filled with all the fullness of God. You want the qualities of God that are communicable qualities to be yours. And how do you do that? According to Paul's prayer in Ephesians four uh, three fourteen through twenty one, you do that by meditating deeply on the size, the scope of God's love. I'm looking out right now over the hood of my daughter's car. I literally have the car pointed toward the Pacific Ocean. And if I were to start the car and drive sixty feet forward, I would be. I would have the car stuck in 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 the white cap waves of the ocean, and looking out over thousands of miles of unbroken ocean. And when God wants people to understand the size of his love for them, he compares it with the ocean. compares it with the ocean. Gentlemen, one of the first things you should do, and one of the most powerful things you can do, when to fight against sin and craft a holy life, And that is to think God loves you with a vast, vast love. The Scriptures, when the Scriptures want to teach us of God's love, the Scriptures' highest appeal to us is to remember that God gave his son Jesus. And you all would know where to find the passage that teaches that. It's in Romans uh, chapter 8, and it's that lyrical, that poetic, that famous passage Who can separate us from the love of God, neither height or depth or any other creature will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And I skipped over a huge tract of that passage. But in a series of messages on what I call the Grand Master Key to the Universe, the first thing I say is, First thing you do is meditate on the size of god 's love for you, so you you think about how much God loves you. You read about how much God loves you. You listen to music about how much God loves you. You meditate on the love of God on the death of Christ and the love of God and the size and the scope and the depth and the length and the endurance of the love of god and you that 's the first thing you do you You let God love you. You keep yourself in the love of God like a little kitten uh, curled up in the sunshine. You you think about the love of God. (laughs) So that's the first thing that you do. Excuse me, gentlemen. It's a brisk morning out on the coast. It's actually... Probably in the high 40s, it's May, late in May, and it's probably maybe not quite 50. It might be 50 degrees right now. And the sun's coming out later today, and the and the temps will climb up into, into the mid-60s. It'll be a beautiful day out here, but it, the mornings start a little cold and foggy, so I was sipping my hot coffee. If you'll permit me, if you'll understand, and go ahead and get a sip of your coffee while I do. Thanks for understanding, gentlemen. The second thing that you do after you meditate on the size and the scope of God's love, you you let God love you first. And then in my Master Key to the Universe messages, I said, then you love him back. Let God love you and love him back. Loving God back is what I call the grand master key to the universe. We used to run for a Christian ministry, we ran a hotel with five rooms. Can you imagine? In downtown Flint, Michigan, a magnificent hotel built, I think, originally by the Radisson people. Downtown Flint, Michigan, and we own this hotel. Our Christian ministry owned this hotel, and, and I was the general manager, the director of the Christian ministry there and, and of the hotel. And we were responsible for 500 guest rooms. We had a special machine that would make the entry, the key cards. And I had a code, a special code as the general manager that they called the Grand Master Key. You could make a card that was the grand, coded to the Grand Master Key and it opened every door in the building, all 500 to some doors. It would open any door in the building. When Jesus tells us, In Mark, in chapter 4, they were debating, the Pharisees were debating about which was the greatest commandment. Jesus tells us what the greatest commandment is, and he says it's the the grand master key to the universe. He said the greatest commandment is, from Deuteronomy chapter 6, Jesus said to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And love your neighbors yourself, he says later in the book of Mark and other places. Gentlemen, think of this. This is this is vital teaching of Jesus. This is essential teaching of Jesus. You get this, or you don't get the Christian life. You you learn this, or or you cannot, you will not effectively live the Christian life. And that is the grand master key to the universe is love God back. Understand that God loves you. And love him back. Everything you do, you do out of love and of affection for God. You were created for that. You were made for that. That's how you live. That's how you enjoy life. That's how you fulfill your duties as a man. And that, gentlemen, that is how you resist sin. And that is how you build a holy life. And it's the only way to craft a holy life by learning to love God. And if you, and immediately, if you were to say to Jesus, well, how can I love you? Because God is a spirit. And and he immediately, Jesus immediately follows up, love your neighbor as yourself. The best way to love somebody is to love their kids. And the best way to love God is, the Bible says, to keep his commandments, to obey what he says. And, the, and, and to love those that he created and loves. And so when you love other people in Christ's name, for God's sake, gentlemen, when you go about your duties today, Whatever it is you're doing, whether you're teaching or whether you're removing trash from the curb or whether you're building things or whether you're supervising things or whether you're writing or ordering or organizing or selling things, you do them out of love for God. Then your, your acts of love are acts of fidelity and of worship to God. And so... Uh, the, key, the grand master key to the universe is to love God. So this, you see this intimacy with God is extremely important. Now, there's a third thing I would tell, teach, when I would teach this series on the grand master key. I would say, meditate on how much God loves you, love let God love you and love him back. And then I would also ask the question, what's the worst thing that could ever happen to someone? And if the highest expression of humanity is to love God, and if the grand master key of the universe is to love God, the greatest tragedy would be to take the love that really belongs to God and give it to anybody or anything else. That's idolatry. And so when I take what belongs to God and I give it to someone else or something else, that thing becomes an idol of my heart. When I when I give the love that belongs to God to someone or something else, it becomes an idol of my heart. It's a disordered affection, and, and my life is in sync with the way God intended for it to be. So when I try to get from something what only God can give, that's idolatry. When I try to give to something what only belongs to God, that's idolatry. Maybe the essence of real manhood is for a man to really understand this. He is made to love God. You and I are made to love God and to love others as an expression of our love for God, and to obey God's law as really as a, as an expression of God's love and a means of entering more deeply into God's love. So the greatest tragedy that could ever happen would be to give the love that belongs to God to something else. That's idolatry. There's a great theologian. It was understood as a great theologian. Later in his life, interviewed in the city of Chicago one day, Karl Barth. He was asked a series of questions. One of the questions that he was asked was, in all of your study of theology, in all of your life, what, what do you consider is the greatest theological truth? And without hesitation, the great theologian said, I can answer that in the words of a song from Sunday school. The greatest truth in the Bible is Jesus loves me. This I know for the Bible tells me so. And about that, he was right. There isn't a greater or higher truth in the Bible than to understand that God loves you. You are put on earth to love him back. And the greatest tragedy that can occur is for a man to give the love that belongs to God to anyone or anything else, or to seek the love that only God can give from anyone or anything else, including the closest relationships in your life. Gentlemen, this is the way God created us. This is how God orders our life. This is a great secret in life. And the scriptures teach it throughout. Take what I've said. Search the New Testament. Search the Old Testament. And this is what you'll find, that God is always expressing his love to you. And I, guys, I, I believe this. I also believe he knows your heart and he loves you. He, puts, he gives you the desires of your heart. He puts the things in your heart that he knows that bring you delight. He knows what brings you delight. He knows how you're wired, he knows how you feel, what you think. and he knows how to drop into your life evidence of his love and if you pay if you develop a sensitivity to God and a fellowship with God then God will bring to mind things that remind you of his love, along with you just simply reading the scriptures in no greater way than just to read the scriptures, especially the scriptures about the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, which is just the heart of the New Testament. And so when you simply get up and get out your well-worn Bible and read the Gospels, or scroll to the Gospels on your phone in whatever version or a reliable version you prefer, and you look into the face of Jesus Christ with love, with affection, like looking into his face. Then, by reading the scriptures, then you you are experiencing the love of God and you're doing the most powerful thing you can do to fight against wayward thoughts and wayward deeds, sinful things in your life. This is what you do to craft a holy life, and every man has his own way of stimulating his love and his affection for God. Now, now to to powerfully demonstrate these things, to powerfully teach these things, I want to tell you a couple of important stories from the scripture. There were stories that meant a great deal to Jesus. There's stories Jesus is famous for, and you should When you get a chance and you have a chance to sit down with your Bible, you should take your Bible and you should study these stories because they're powerful, powerful stories that Jesus wanted us to remember. They were captured in the Gospels. They're repeated in the Gospels. One of them is in Luke chapter 7. And it's a story of a a, a Pharisee whose name was Simon who invited Jesus to dine with him jesus came to his house and ate with him and they must have been you know that must have been accessible from the street because a woman that jesus had delivered came along and and she washed his feet with tears and and so forth and and um simon the pharisee um had had uh ill thoughts toward jesus when he did this and um uh, he didn't say anything according to the scripture but he his thoughts toward the woman and toward jesus were not charitable thoughts uh, they were uh, doubtful thoughts let me read the passage to you and you might get a, if you get a chance you might uh, study this in your own bible or if you're sitting where you can Look at your Bible. This is in Luke 7:36. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him, so Jesus went to his home and he sat down to eat. Later, he's identified as Simon the Pharisee. When a certain immoral woman from the city heard he was eating there, she brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with a beautiful, uh, expensive perfume, and then she knelt behind him at his feet. Now he's reclining; his feet out behind him. She knelt behind him at his feet, weeping. Her tears fell on his feet. She wiped them off with her hair. And then she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, he thought to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman was touching him. She's a sinner. Then Jesus answered his thoughts. He said, Simon, he said to the Pharisee, I have something to say to you. Go ahead, teacher. Simon replied. Then Jesus told him this story. A man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one and 50 pieces of silver to the other, but neither of them could repay him. So he kindly forgave them both, canceling their debts. Who do you suppose loved him more after that? Did you catch that? The heart of this story is going to be what Jesus says, who loved him more? He forgave one man a little bit. He forgave another man a great deal. Jesus tells this little story, makes up this little story. And then he asks a question. Did you catch the question? The question Jesus asks Simon the Pharisee is, who loved him more? Gentlemen, that's the question that you want to understand. Simon answered in verse 43, I suppose the one for whom he canceled the larger debt. That's right, Jesus said. Then he turned to the woman and he said to Simon. Imagine he's looking at the woman, talking to Simon. Here's what he says. Look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust from my feet. But she has washed them with her tears, wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss, but from the first time I came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. I tell you, her sins, and there are many, have been forgiven, so she has shown me much love. Catch that? She loved me a lot because she's forgiven a lot, he says. Then he says, but a person who has forgiven little shows only little love. I think what he's saying is, Simon the Pharisee, you're not aware of what a great sinner you are, that's why you don't love me. Gentlemen, if you really want to deepen your love for God, imagine, think about how much he's forgiven you. And verse 49 says, the men at the table said among themselves, who is this man who goes around forgiving sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. That's story number one, and a powerful story about the the power of love and uh, so there you have a powerful story in scripture that teaches and from the life of Jesus that teaches the importance and priority of love love fights against sin now there's another story and this is a powerful story and men it's a story you should understand and it's a story that teaches the same truth and it's exceptionally important that you understand how how clear this is in Bi- in the Bible. And as you get to the end of the Gospel of John, Jesus says, "God has John record this beautiful one of the most famous stories about Jesus in the Gospel of John." And it's a it's a story involving Peter. And when in a few years ago, when we visited the Holy Land, we visited Capernaum and there's a little church built on what they believe to be the site of this incident. Here's, it's recorded in John 21, a post-resurrection appearance of Jesus. Later, Jesus appeared again to the disciples beside the Sea of Galilee. And this is how it happened. Several of the disciples were there Simon Peter, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee and two other disciples. Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. We'll come too, they all said. So they went out to the boat, but they caught nothing all night. At dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach. Understand, the resurrected Christ is on the beach. They hadn't seen him. At dawn, are they that hadn't seen him lately. At dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach, but the disciples couldn't see who he was. He called out, Fellows, have you caught any fish? Imagine over the roar of the waves. And they say, No. And he said, Throw out your net on the right side of the boat. You'll get some. And they did and couldn't haul in the net because there were so many fish in it. They said, This reminded the disciples of before when he called them, they realized who he was. Then the disciple Jesus loved, this would be John, said to Peter, It's the Lord. Then Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord. He put on his tunic, for it stripped for work, jumped in the water, and swam to shore. The others stayed with the boat and pulled the loaded net to the shore, for they were only about a hundred yards from the shore. When they got there, they found breakfast waiting for them, fish cooking over a charcoal fire, And some bread. Now remember this: last time Peter had seen Jesus, and and, or one of the last times he'd seen Jesus, he's warming his hands over the same kind of fire, a fire of coals, a charcoal fire. But he's in the court of Ananias, the high priest, and he's denying the Lord, and he's denying the Lord. How many times? Yes. He's denying the Lord three times. Now, Jesus has made breakfast for him, a breakfast of fish. And he has it o- the breakfast over a fire of coals, almost like he's, re- he's, he's bringing Peter back to the place where Peter stopped following him. Bring some of the fish you just caught, Jesus said. So Simon Peter went aboard, dragged the net to shore. There were 153 large fish yet the net hadn't torn. Now come have breakfast, Jesus said. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Then Jesus served them the bread and the fish. And this was the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples since he'd been raised from the dead. After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, what did he ask him? Interesting, gentlemen. The question he asked him was, Do you love me? Let's not miss that. Three times, you know, in this story, what we'll see is Jesus asks Peter, Peter, do you love me? He says, Do you love me more than these? I'm assuming he was saying, you you promised you love me more than the other disciples. Do you love me more than these other disciples? Because he denied him three times. And Peter said, you know I love you. And Jesus said, feed my lambs. He's bringing them back on the team. Jesus repeated the same question a second time. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said, you know I love you. Then take care of my sheep. Jesus said, I'm, I'm, you're back on the team. <laughs> Third time, he asked him, Jesus asked Peter, Simon, Son of John, do you love me? Peter was heard that Jesus asked the question a third time and said, "Lord, you know everything you know I love you." Jesus said, "Then feed my sheep. I tell you the truth when you're young, you were able to do as you liked. You dressed yourself and went wherever you wanted to go, but when you're old, you will stretch out your hands, and others will dress you and take you where you don't want to go. Jesus said this to let him know by what kind of death he would glorify God then jesus said follow me okay so you're tracking with this story the key thing i want you to see and understand is that the key question that jesus asked to restore peter's walking with god restore his ministry restore his fellowship and restore his ministry the key question that jesus asked and the only question that he asked he repeated three times was what You got it. Do you love me? I want you to think about that for a minute. Today, I know you've sinned. I know that you've struggled with sin all your life. I have too. And in this intense struggle with sin, with with disobedience, with selfishness, with, with greed, with anger, with lust, we... These are all expressions of idolatry, of love for someone or something else and not love for God. They're they're manifestations of our lack of love for Jesus and they melt, they fade. The power of these temptations melts away. The power of these temptations fades away. When we draw near to God in affection for God, while we're loving God, we do not sin. That's why Jesus asks you the question, do you love me? Do you love me? You wrestle with that anger. Jesus looks you in the eye over breakfast. I imagine that the other disciples had gone away and that Jesus is stirring the coals with a stick and that Peter and Jesus are are are, are sitting by the Sea of Galilee and the sun is rising up over the lip of the mountains in the east and they're on the west shore of the Sea of Galilee near Capernaum. And Jesus is stirring the fire, and he looks Peter, looks up over the fire into Peter's eyes. And then he says to him very quietly and probingly, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, yeah, I, I do. I like you. And Jesus asks him again, do you love me? He says, I like you. Jesus says, do you love me? And Peter says, you know I do. And it's almost as if Jesus encourages Peter to say, I love you, I love you, I love you, because he denied him three times, he got him to affirm his love three times, and restored him. And Jesus wants, gentlemen, Jesus wants to restore you to fellowship with himself. He wants you to live in, in fellowship with him, in intimacy with him, in love for him. He wants you to experiment with different ways of receiving God's love, and he wants you to experiment with different ways of giving God's love. Before I quit today, I want to tell you a little story. This is true about me. It may not be true about you. We're all different, and men understand the love of God in different ways, and God expresses his love to different men in different ways. For all of us, we have the scriptures that bear the testimony of the crucified and risen Christ, and God God appeals to that testimony of the crucified, risen Christ as evidence of his love, the greatest evidence of his love to meditate on. There is no greater evidence. You sing hymns and read scriptures about God's love. You receive communion and you remember God's love and your intimacy with God, his for you and you for him. But then I also believe that if you love someone, you'll find different ways of expressing your love. And God is infinitely creative. And God is intimately creative. And he knows your heart. He knows what you love. He knows you better than anyone knows you. He knows you better than you know yourself. And if you want to meditate on that, turn your Bible to Psalm 139 and just slowly read Psalm 139. It's an amazing psalm about God's love for for you and, and how he knows you. He knows you. Better than you know yourself. If you want to know yourself, then know God, and God will reveal yourself to you. But here's the here's the heart of this. This is the very heart of it. God knows what what you receive as expressions of love. When I was a boy, I mean, we lived in a suburb, um, all the houses on the block within. Six eight ten blocks were kind of alike, simple, similar ranch style homes in a fairly modern subdivision. I delivered newspapers door to door to houses that kind of all looked the same, and the streets and the trees and the yards were all variations on the same theme, but every once in a while I would get out my boy scout handbook or I'd see some beautiful vista of a mountaintop where I'd be singing a song in vacation Bible school. They have a visualized lyrics and a little boy, I'd see a picture of a little boy sitting on a mount, looking down over the valley. And my heart would just long to be in someplace beautiful. I had a long to be in beautiful places to hike or to camp or to fish or to swim or to be somewhere beautiful. And this is a, desire that I believe that God embedded in my heart because of what he was going to do in my life later that I didn't know and then what would happen would be I would think well I need gear I'd have to buy this gear but I didn't have money for expensive gear I'd page through these catalogs and I'd see these tents and backpacks and just all this expensive gear and I would and I'd be frustrated that I didn't have these experiences because of the cost or the difficulty of traveling places and then as I got older I began to get invitations to speak at camps which which that's interesting because camps are built in beautiful places on rivers or lakes or in mountains and I've been invited to mountains camps in the mountains and camps by rivers and camps in the country camps by lake often by lakes beautiful places is up north in Michigan to where to camps that are built on lakes where where loons live I remember one year the camp director said there's a loon nesting on the lake this year in the evening I'd hear the call of the loon and and it would be almost like the Lord would allow me to see the northern lights or see a bear or hear a loon and I would know that it was God's way of expressing his love for me. Or or maybe like yesterday, I heard a story about how one of my children, many, many years ago, had been in mortal danger I didn't know about, and how God delivered him from danger. And I never knew it until yesterday. This was 30-some years ago, but it was only yesterday that I found out that my little boy could have died, could have drowned in a creek. But he didn't because God spared him. And I felt a wave of God's love for me. And gentlemen, keep your heart very tender to God. Cultivate a very tender, affectionate heart for God. This will help you cultivate affections for your wife and children and others that you should love. But don't let yourself become hardened, especially against God. But keep your heart very, very tender to God. And what you will notice if you develop this, if you... If you study yourself and God and understand how to show love for God by obeying him or by loving others or by uh, uh, about getting out in nature, listening to hymns or songs or reading the scripture, any various number of serving and, and uh, laying down your life in service um, uh, for his cause, you will discover that these are means of loving God and receiving God's love. And the more that you love God, the less you sin. Sin yields to this powerful weapon of affections for God. Now, there's a sixth thing that we'll talk about next week on the podcast. But for now, I've given you a great deal to think about. And if you go on the web and you look up KenPierpont.com and you scroll down the page, you're going to find that I've embedded there. I've posted notes for all of this. So you can go through these notes and you can study these teachings, uh, and you can reinforce them, and you can study these passages that I've used, and in so doing, you will deepen your love for God and your experience of God's love, deepen your experience of God's love for you, and you will craft a holy life, and you will war against sin. I'm looking forward to seeing you again soon. Why don't we stop and pray here as we conclude today's podcast that God will give us an experience of his love. Father in heaven, as I sit here out on the lip of the Pacific Ocean, looking out into vast hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of miles of ocean, I think about the size and the scope and the depth of your love for us that we can't even imagine. And Lord, I, ha- I pray that you help me to deepen my fellowship with you by deepening my understanding of your love, by loving you back and not giving my love that belongs to you, to anybody else, or receiving from others what only you can give. And I pray this for every man who's listening, that they would be a man of God, and they would be powerful, have a powerful understanding of your love for them, and how they can love you back. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, until next time. You guys uh, have a great week, and uh, we'll be back next week with another uh, podcast episode of things i want to say most of the men and we'll be talking about the sixth and a very very powerful weapon to fight against sin weapon number six till next time god bless you men have a great week